Welcome to the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, helping you unleash the greatness within your dog. Hello and welcome everybody to another Doggy Dan Podcast and today I have Dr. Connor Brady from Dublin, Ireland with us and he's going to talk to us about nutrition and dogs' general health and uh, the fascinating dark underbelly of dog food. Yes. How are you? Good to have you here. I'm good. I'm good, Dan. Yeah, I'm raring to go. Absolutely. So uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate the opportunity. We've already had a bit of a laugh, so this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. So first question, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who on earth are you for people who've never heard of you and, uh, and what do you do? Um, so my name's Connor, and uh, yeah, I'm from uh, Wicklow, Ireland here. This is a, a, a kind of a Dublin accent that everyone can hear. And uh, I do a lot of canine nutrition. I'm one of the kind of canine nutrition lads over this end of the, uh, of the world. So, um, you know, my background was so I was in college, you know, I grew up in the dog shelters and that kind of thing. So I've been mad about dogs as a kid, but uh, I went through college as a zoology degree um, and I got a doctorate studying the effects of nutrition on behavior. And that was the kind of start of the of the love bug for for nutrition, you know. And then uh, I joined Guide Dogs and uh, as a as a pup supervisor, you know, nine to five puppy puppy immersion. It doesn't get better than that, as you can appreciate, Dan. You know, making a living mm. from working with dogs is just a you know, it's a treat. So that's what I had. And then suddenly there was an opportunity over in Australia, in Perth, Western Australia. And I thought, well, you know, training dogs in the sunshine is a hell of a lot better than training them in the lashing rain at home. So I thought, <laughs> I thought maybe I'll take a trip over with the with the wife. And uh, so we we're over in uh, in Perth for, for a while. And that's where I really encountered. I was already doing nutrition stuff, but it was when I bumped into the Aussies. They were they were really the first to the to the whole fresh raw you know real food movement in in dogs there they've got a, a a huge portion of the population who are already doing it compared to anywhere else i'd been you know they're all talking about it and uh that kind of thing so i you know had a had a good few sick dogs you know you'd start doing a bit of training on the side as you do to to supplement your income and it's easy to do and i think i remember counting of the 18 dogs i had i think seven of them were on non-steroidal anti-inflammatories i mean this is crazy could you imagine having like a a classroom of you know 18 kids and seven of them are on non-steroidal anti-inflammatories yeah. for some for random allergies and you know australia has the most dangerous everything so it makes sense that it's pollen is vicious so i just thought okay well maybe it's just crazy epidemic of of itch and uh, that's really i started rooting around and I, I made a few changes to their diet took them off dry food put them on raw they got really better and the usual kind of story you'll hear from people but it was the fact that i said to my superiors look what i did with uh, with a couple of dogs and you know it might make sense that we try this with our own dogs it was the fact that they didn't really leap with me you know and they didn't really kind of get it and that kind of annoyed me and then i couldn't convince the vets at all to to come with me and that that really annoyed me i kind of said well look, i've done a little experiment here why don't you have a look at some of the worst dogs on your books and you take them off you know, ultra-processed food. Some of the dogs were recurring gut issues, just as a starter. I mean, gut issues, food, let's give it a, give it a whirl. And uh, But they wouldn't. So I didn't like that stonewalling that I felt I was being... I don't like not being listened to, you know? It's kind of like... Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so really, then I start rooting around trying to make friends, and you do. You had, like, uh, uh, Ian Billinghurst, Dr. Ian Billinghurst, Lonsdale. Those two were the two top vets, the raw fa- fathers, they call them. Both of them are Aussies. And um, you, you get chatting to them and then you meet Brisbane guide dogs. And this is a pretty interesting story. One of the 
uh, one of the revelations in the book really was meeting this CEO, Chris Lane. And uh, she was just just an amazing woman, an amazing CEO. And in 2009, Chris, it's, it's actually uh, documented in the Courier Mail, uh, if people want to check out the article online. Uh, it's a journalist interviewed her. But uh, the, um, Chris kind of decided one day, you know, there might be something to this raw thing. They've got 180 dogs in training. And uh, she did a little experiment. She was encouraged by what she saw. So she changed the whole population over from... 180 training dogs from dry to raw dog food. That's a big leap. You know, that's a big leap. Yeah, um, it's a good sample size. It's a good sample size. And it takes it takes balls to do something like that. You know, that's, it's not an easy thing to do. And and so she makes the change. And then you start hearing, you saw, I saw the, the Courier-Mail piece and, you know, reports of veterinary bills plummeting. And the four or five things I remember that were leaping off the page were recurring skin conditions, recurring gut conditions, um, orthopedics or ear recurring ear conditions orthopedic surgery and consult there were the four or five topics or headlines i saw and they were plummeting and the figure was something like eighty thousand savings eighty thousand dollars savings in a year now for for a charity organization that that's a staggering figure because every penny is hard earned when you're a charity you know so if you can save that sort of money can you imagine what you could do with it? you could put a lot more paws on the ground helping people so that was a staggering figure and there was lots of other small things when you're talking to people in the organization you know the, the kennels are quiet the, the poo doesn't smell um the dogs were way more focused you know not 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 less silly they were still like they're labrador pups and they're jumping around they're doing what pups do or labrador cross retrievers is what they use and it didn't change that side of their behavior but they were better able for the training which was something that a lot of training organizations were repeating already so yeah that really hooked me, and it was, I took that information back and I said, "Guys, look what Brisbane guide dogs are doing. We got to do this." And you know, they, they were going to come on side, so I kind of knew my time with guide dogs was up because I said, "Look, if these aren't going to change, there's something seriously wrong that people can't see this, and there's no vets coming on board." What was interesting was what happened really to to Chris Lane. They she saw the change it made in their dogs. And they thought, "You know what? If we stuck the Brisbane guide dogs badge on some raw dog food, sure we could." sell this food on the market loads of people would buy it everyone wants to support their guide dog organization and like if the food's good enough for guide dogs you can be pretty sure the rest of the public are going to buy it so they, they developed this this range called leading raw dog food and it took off and it was a top seller and they started dominating now pet food people don't understand what sort of a business it is there's more money in pet food than there is in the music industry there's more money in dog food alone in the uk it's a 1.1 billion sterling a year in the uk alone and the music industry for for selling music is one billion a year. When you add in cats and treats, it's twice the size of the music industry. Wow. So so and the and the margins are colossal. So it's a big big business. So when you're selling the top product in Australia, you know you're not talking small money for a charity and organization. And suddenly you can use that resources to to do good stuff. You know, so all it was on the up. Yeah, Brisbane guide dogs, and then suddenly, uh, you know, 2015, I hear Chris Lane is fired out the door and uh wow. in comes a new, in comes a new ceo and i have her words there in my book which i probably should be quoting but i don't have the page open to hand but uh words to the effect of she believes she was let go because the ceo that came in to replace her was going to bring back in yep. uh the pet fo- the pet food range that all those organizations are sponsored by yeah so i when i that was the start of the darkness for me and i yep. thought whoa i mean these are healthy dogs yeah these are proven to be healthier on this food although there's a whole lot of stats behind that that i can use here because i, I do like wow. my, my papers on my but so th- that implies that if you change them back they will be less healthy and that that is 
that really bothers me yeah. to this day. It's kind of like, could you imagine for the people working in the kennels, the people training those dogs? Dan, could you imagine if it was your dog and you thought somebody was going to do something that was going to make him less healthy and it wasn't going to be you, it was somebody else? I mean, that's... Um, it, crosses, it crosses a line, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's kind of like messing with me, kid. So yeah, um, exactly. anyway, you know, that was the start of it. And then I kind of hit the road and I, I started doing a few seminars and visiting veterinary university um, libraries and, and looking at what the vets were learning and checking out the top books that they use and trying to talk to some vets, you know, uh, Murdoch University there in Perth is one of the biggest veterinary universities in the Southern Hemisphere. So I thought oh, I'm going to meet some serious nutrition heads in here. And there's just very little for me to talk to. And I kind of thought, well, where are they? Where are these people I can talk to? And then turns out there's only about 100 veterinary nutritionists, veterinary nutritionists, vets that have studied nutrition uh, in the world. Well, And it's like, okay, so, uh, you know, I needed to do something about this. I, I started learning more about it and uh, then and developed a uh, pet food range. I came back to Ireland then, and uh, that was the start of things. I developed a pet food range myself for a couple of years. I thought Irish, I thought I could lure in maybe a guide dog organization here. That didn't really happen, but it took off. It worked a little bit, and but manufacturing is hard work, and I dumped that in. What was the, what was the gist of your food, uh, Connor? What was, what was in? So... I think raw dog food, like, you know, they, they wrap it up in many different ways. Some companies are brilliant at marketing. But at the end of the day, like cereal-based pet food, it's all quite similar, okay? It could all come out of the same factory and you wouldn't know. They just changed the label. So raw dog food is based on this premise that dogs eat, you know, rats, rabbits, that kind of stuff, you know. They might eat a bit of plant material. We can get to that later. But that I, I do diet studies. That's where I'm really strong. And they do probably eat a little bit of plant material. But for the large part, left to their own devices, the studies show dogs eat predominantly meat and bone. And they eat anything. They will eat any frogs and they'll eat, you know, mice, rats. This is dogs in the wild you're talking about, is that right? Do- dogs in the wild, free to roam dogs. Uh, even dogs that live with families at nighttime, we call them village dogs or f- free roaming dogs. So not truly feral. Even those will just solidly eat meat when they're left to their own devices. But there is a very strange quirk in dogs, which fudges the whole debate. Because if you have a dog or a cat, when they're very young and you feed, let's say a cat, because we all know cats are total carnivores. But when you feed a cat a bit of broccoli when it's a kitten, you'll see videos online of cats chewing broccoli. Now that is a completely strange thing to see because cats are obligate carnivores. They absolutely don't eat vegetable material. But here we have on YouTube videos and videos of domestic cats eating it. How come? Because this stuff was fed to them when they were when they were um, babies. And as you know, Dan, like within training, um, there's a there's a period in the dog's life, in the pup's life, called the imprinting period. Yeah. Maybe the, the name has changed in the 15 years since I trained. But, uh, you know, the first four or five months for socialization, it's just everything in a dog's life. They say you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Of course you can. I mean, you're doing it every day. But it, in the first four or five months in guide dogs, it's really important that the dog gets exposed many times in a positive way to say, a bus or a train because a bus is terrifying you know mm. air breaks in the face and all this horrible smell and heaters under the seats and rubbish and chewing gum and everything so you, you once the pup has been on the bus four or five times they're okay with it but the same applies to food if you want a dog to have a varied diet and enjoy eating some funny textures like chicken breast meat if they've never had that before and then suddenly you give a chicken breast to a dog that's a year or two old or 10 years old they'll look at it and it'll, they might have a face in them like a dog chewing a tomato you know that face of jesus i i, I want to excuse me like, i want to eat this but uh, what is it? but it's yeah. it's a funny texture what is it so um so this kind of thing can be developed in in dogs to taste you can actually spray apple in the air of pregnant females and the pups will come out and fight over the apple tainted nipples 
that's how sensitive yeah. your environs are to absorbing proteins and you come out looking for the stuff your mum ate so, which, so yeah. basically what you're saying is you can get a dog to learn to uh, um, enjoy things like broccoli but it's not necessarily good for the dogs exactly uh, yeah yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And then it fudges the diet studies because you have most of the diet studies come from dogs that are free roaming. So not they're not feral dogs. They're hard. They don't you don't see them very often. Free roaming dogs are studies of populations of dogs that populate dumps in like um poorer parts of Italy, Zimbabwe, Brazil. That's where the diet studies are coming from. But those dogs return to their humans at nighttime, to their villages at nighttime, and they get fed you know scraps of plant material poor people don't waste meat material on, on dogs mm. they get fed the plant material so when you do diet studies of these they have a bit more plant material anyway to come back to your initial question dan you asked me what my food was on my food would be on the premise that you'd feed this ratio of eight one one in other words lots of meat a bit of bone and a bit of organ meat which is like liver heart and kidney yeah. and that's really the basics you can you can make duck variety of that, which is essentially duck with duck heart and liver. And, you know, uh, you can make uh, turkey, chicken, beef, whatever. So I brought out two or three of these ranges to the Irish market and uh, slowly started convincing the Irish public who are not ready for it at all. I have to say I did leap a little bit too soon uh, and I slowly brought a good few of them over to to raw dog food. What tell me, what, what is uh, what is the primary kind of what's your primary concern with traditional, you know, the main manufacturers of traditional old school dog food what what's going on there just for people who don't really know i mean there's obviously a mix of different types of food there's really good dry dog food is there is there is there is it all bad or what what is what's your take on the dog food and, and dry food yeah i think there's probably a ladder of you know good the ladder of goodness and it's it's it, i would say like down the very bottom down the very bottom of that ladder at step one is a cereal based pet food it doesn't matter if you tell me it's wheat corn rice if it contains 50 60 percent ultra fastly digested carbohydrates um you are your dog's in trouble he's eating a very high starch which is a high sugar diet you know people believe that spaghetti isn't sugar spaghetti is almost sugar to the body it's one tiny digestive step away so if you eat a lot of spaghetti you are eating the equivalent of a very high sugar diet it's a it's this whole glycemic index yeah. you know the slower to digest food the better the better for you so you know when dogs are eating rapidly digested uh, pellets made on uh, 50 60 percent wheat corn i'd say they're not made with the dog's interest at heart they're made with the bottom line at heart that that's not what dogs yeah. eat i mean you wouldn't feed 50 50 60 percent wheat or corn to a human although you know some some nations are trying and look at the state of them so it's it's just not a healthy way to eat we're supposed to eat maybe at most 30 percent uh, very complex carbohydrates you know a good bit of fiber in there they're your whole grains and your your strange grains that come from you know south america and stuff they're the sort of tough kind of hard to digest slow to digest grains you should be eating at a maximum 30 percent of your diet and here's a meat eater that's being fed ultra processed food we know ultra processed food is the whole cause of the obesity epidemic and if you've got if you've got an obesity epidemic you've got diabetes cancer uh pancreatitis in dogs and all the other things that go with eating too much carbohydrates so the very first thing is when you ask me what's good food, I'd say, well, any food very high in carbohydrates, it doesn't matter what you call it, is no good for the dog. So like step one is your cereal based pet food. Then you go up a bit. Grain free is generally a bit better because they're going a bit more natural. They drop some of the nasty chemicals. They don't list any of the chemicals in the back of the pack. Um, and they try to use a bit more real meat, less of the meat meal, which is a shocking ingredient. It's the lowest of the lowest, the dregs of the rendering industry from meat waste. Why would you feed that? Why would you pay good money for that? And then you go up from grain-free and you go to slightly higher meat-containing foods. And some companies mean well, and so they give the dogs more meat in the pellet. You know, so you might have these 
products called 80-20, which is 80% meat. But I would say that's 80% cooked meat or ultra-processed meat. And ultra-processed meat probably isn't the most gut-friendly thing you need to be eating. Your dog wants it fresh and easy to digest and really good quality, you know? So they all mean well. Then there's all sorts of things like dehydrated pet food, cold-pressed, which means they try to use less heat and stuff, which is great. Um, but then you get up to the better foods, which are starting to use real ingredients, cooked foods, home cooked foods. People wrap that up in a number of ways, which is great because they use real ingredients. You can see them in the bowl. And then you get up to your raw dog foods and stuff. And uh, there's some really good. Yeah. And, but the, probably the best you can do is make it yourself. It's just that people are afraid, you know. So for people who are going, I'm interested. Some of this is making sense. There's a lot of information. How You've written a book. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about your book. Is that for? I mean, I'm basically wanting to help the listeners who are thinking. I want to know more about this. Um, tell us a little bit about the places, maybe um, your book, yeah. your website. Yeah. How can people find out more? Not that we're coming to the end of the podcast, guys. Don't get worried. I'm just thinking. It feels like a good point to to chat a little. bit. Yeah, no, I, and you're and you're right, Dan. Because like when people hear this initially, it's quite it's quite a lot. It is. And so if you get if you get bombarded with a lot, you you tend to go a bit inactive. You don't leap it. Simple messages are, but you know, you know, build that wall. Three word messages. We love them. You know, and the more complex the message, the scarier it is. And my vet's not on site, so I get all that. I think a good place to start is, of course, my website, but I wouldn't say that. You can go to my website, dogsfirst.ie, D-O-G-S-F-I-R-S-T.ie. And uh, I've got lots of articles there, all the raw FAQs that you're going to ask me and uh, all the uh, health issues. So I put out the health, the solution to health issues for free on the website because I want people to have the diets to hand for you know, cancer and kidney disease and stuff that's so rife in dogs. So dogsfirst.ie is a good place to start. But as you kindly plug there, I do have a have a book that's doing doing well now and that's called feeding dogs which you'll find online um it's probably amazon if you're in new zealand and i I had a look at the book and and it's getting some incredible reviews it's going down well thank god yeah yeah hundreds of five-star reviews tell us a little bit about the book what what's in it is it recipes is it your journey your story is it behavior or is it food what um i would say that like like, i i'm i'm into research i'm an academic so this the whole point of this book it's a monster but the whole point of this book was to give science behind the the debate because everybody kind of says oh i'd make the leap but there's no science the vets would say that so i brought out this book which I tried to make it as legible as possible. I'm inspired by people like Bill Bryson and, uh, you know, I don't know, people that write science books that you want to pick up and read at the airport. So I like those. That's what fixed my switch. I love those sorts of books. And so I wanted to write it, take the most academic debates that people seem to be having behind closed doors, and I bring them out and write them, hopefully, in a way that people can pick up so you know it's no point writing something very complex because we know our gps and vets aren't reading the journals and academic papers because if they did i mean one of the major things in the book the book is divided into four sections i'll get to that but in the second section when we're talking about dry dog food the first section talks about what dogs eat and their digestive kind of physiology and that kind of stuff you know and looking at the biology of the dog and the ancestry which is interesting because people always talk about well the dogs aren't wolves and we go yeah okay fair enough but the dog is very close to a dingo i mean a dingo four thousand years ago is your domestic dogs they're so close they're interbreeding with each other wolves and dogs don't interbreed very much at all but dingoes happy to do it so forget talking about the wolf. Look at the dingo. The dingo was a domestic dog 4,000 years ago. Um, the Papua New Guinea dog, I've only just discovered him. He's so 
identical to the dingo. It's ridiculous. And that's where they came from. This, there used to be land bridges there. But anyway, total carnivore, the dingo. So forget talking about the wolf. But even that, look, that's the ancestry stuff. But the second section starts looking at dry dog food and highlighting, you know, many, many of the major issues. But it, it reveals one big, big thing. As it's, it's this statement. It's that there's not a single study in existence to suggest cereal, ultra-processed cereal-based pet food is better for a dog than normal food. Not one study. So the whole ethos of this thing, science and prescription pet food, which is a complete misnomer because there's no medicine in the product. It's uh, You're not allowed to do that, actually, because news agents can sell your product. It can't be it's not under prescription. But anyway, um, so this whole idea of science and stuff is there is there is their basis you know we have no evidence to say that real food is good for a dog but look at all their science but when you do look at their science you realize it's just foundations of of muck of sand you know because here we they've got a lot of studies no doubt but they're studies of like a group of dry fed dogs compared to a group of dry fed dogs so let's say you wanted to study itch in dogs you'd feed one group of dogs uh standard cereal-based pet food that's going to keep them itching and you feed the second group of dogs the exact same diet, but you add a cod liver oil tablet to their bowl. And after two weeks, you realize that this you know, group B are itching slightly less because of the cod liver oil tablet. Well, now they wrap that product up, put the cod liver oil in their usual standard pellet, and they mag- wrap it up as magic dermal care, skin benefit pet food, sell it to you three times the price under a prescription. So that's called an unfalsifiable comparison. We know adding cod liver oil reduces or fish oil reduces steroid need and reduces itch in dogs. But is that really relevant is the question. So those studies are nearly irrelevant because the question would be, why are the dogs itching? Why don't you just, you know, the, the idea would be a big group of dogs, like what Brisbane Guide Dogs did, a big group of dogs, and they have some of them on cereal-based pet food and the others on real food, biologically appropriate meals that are designed by people that understand what dogs eat. And then you compare those dogs after three or four or five years, put them through fitness tests, get them pulling sleds. You know, it's like if you're watching smoke, if you're, if you're watching smokers, if you pitched 11 smokers against 11 non-smokers in football, in soccer, you know, the first half might be pretty okay to watch. It's the second half where the non-smokers are going to be, uh, are going to come, come up trumps, you know? So they're the studies we don't have. We have no zero not a single study they couldn't i love saying it when they say what studies have you got to prove raw is better than dry i say well here's a couple of head-to-heads that have been done in the last three years but the deal is if i show you one you show me one yeah so i'll go first and i show them a, a study that you know one or two of the studies produced by helsinki who are bringing out lots of good studies to the university of helsinki and they don't have any so they'll switch the conversation very quickly to the dangers of raw dog food and that's you know it's just a that's where we are yeah mm. you know i um as a behaviorist, I went around people's houses and uh, I worked over the last decade, I've worked with about 3,000 dogs in a one-on-one capacity. Wow, do Yeah, it's just a lot of houses. Yeah. It's a lot of time. I've sat down for hours with 3,000 families and their dogs. And obviously, a lot of them eventually, you know, a lot of them talk about their pets which have passed and they tell me stories about we had a beautiful dog. And um, over, over the years, you start to you chat to a lot of families who have lost pets at a very young age. Yes. And they talk about my dog died at six or seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. And you think this, this is a breed which really it's like it's normal. Yeah. And you think, well, this dog is still at 14 or 15. Yeah. Now I've always 
kind of inquire a little bit, how did the dog die? And they say, and, and very often I spotted a pattern of owners saying, oh, he died of like um, kidney failure or ulcers. And I started asking them, what, what did you feed the dog? What was he fed? And I totally independently started to spot a pattern of a very specific, very well-known, very large brand of dog food. And that name kept popping up. I don't doubt it. And after you see it a hundred times, you go. And I actually used to say when people said, um, my dog died very young, actually he had ulcers. I would use, I would say this name of the dog food. I said, did you feed him this? And they'd go, yes. How do you know? Yeah. That's scary. And I didn't like to say, well, I, I did. I'd say, well, it's just a guess because I've heard of so many people yeah. who fed the dog food. And I chatted to a very holistic vet and he said, yep. That dog food yeah. has, I don't know if it still has it, but, you know, he said it, it had, and or at the time it has, a, a preservative which has um, been banned from the human food chain for many, many, many decades because it's poisonous, causes cancer and all sorts of illnesses. Okay, and pet stuff. And it was like, yeah, it really turned my stomach when I went, wow. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, so like I, I don't doubt that. Like Dan, I have to. I'll share it with you afterwards. And if the if the listeners are interested, I've got this fantastic TED talk that was given by a vet in Lithuania. In Lithuania and it's I can't remember the exact title, and you're going to need the exact title to find it. But it was something like "I blew the whistle, and now I'm fighting for my career, or fighting, or and that I lost my job, something like that." Yeah. And it was about the rise of mega esophagus in dogs. Yeah. And if you want to see some dark stuff talking about specific brands causing damage this lithuanian vet was was a top um, microbiologist i think she is top veterinary microbiologist and she was flown back from the states to her homeland in lithuania to investigate why there was such a spike in megasophagus megasophagus is these videos where you see dogs having to eat standing up because their throat doesn't have any musculature around it they can't swallow anymore they have to kind of glut their food down their neck and they can choke on water it kills 30 percent of dogs that get it and the 70 percent that survive is because their pet owners are just superheroes so it's a very terrible disease that you can't get over and they thought it was genetic up until there was a massive spike in it and then they thought well something has to be causing this because genes don't suddenly cause huge increases and this lady produced a couple of studies and eventually narrowed it down to an exact brand of dry food. I'd love to say the name because she says it in the TED Talk, but I'm still reluctant yep. to say it, so I won't bother because people can see it on YouTube themselves. Yep. And anyway, the the thing about it is, this is one of the in, this is section three now in the book for the real dark stuff, the the dark signs, the the nonsense that goes on, the corporate mm-hmm. uh, shenanigans that go on. So this was a nice little story to to begin it with because um, this vet. After, you know, um, kind of saying I need another 30,000 euro was all she needed to do one more study. And she'll be able to say exactly what in the dry food it was, you know, was it a toxin or a parasite or whatever. And uh, she already kind of knew what it was. But the, her Department of Agriculture came in and said, we're shutting you down. Don't produce another word. And uh, the, 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 here's, here's the thing. Here's the rub. So she gets shut down and her Department of Agriculture were happy enough to shut her down. And you start to see a money trail there. And she reveals that. Two years later, we hear nothing more about this product. Nothing happens. There's no recalls. She's shut down for daring to suggest it was a brand. Yeah. Two years later, guide dogs, Sydney, or no, uh, Sydney police dogs. And six out of eight police dogs in the Sydney force came down with Megasophagus. And ABC News over there are very anti-kibble. And uh, they came in very heavily. And they said, what's going on? And they said, well, apparently it's this type of dry food they're feeding. And ABC News do a little bit of research and say, 
it, it appears we've known this for two years. This yep. brand was pointed at two years ago with this vet, and it's been sold for two more years. How many more dogs got mega esophagus? Yeah. So that really, that shows that that's stayed on the shelf. I mean, oh, bloody yeah. hell. I think the thing here for me and and is I've always been very aware of people's motives and often it's mm. money and power. Yeah. And so when people become whistleblowers or when people put stuff up which goes against the grain, when people become truth seekers and say, hey, I'm going to look into this a little bit deeper. And there's no financial reward from them yeah. because the big companies, the big organizations, the multinationals are all against this change. Yeah. I mean, if you think of the, it's like the pyramid or the structure that is currently in place, all the people who are at the top making you yeah. know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, they are in place because of the current structure. Yeah. Now, when anybody at the bottom starts to rustle that structure, you've got to realize the whole thing could collapse. Yeah. And so they are fighting against it and they have to have they have to have such guts such bravery they have to be so brave and and the number of times i've seen thousands and thousands of people who have become whistleblowers or told the truth or told their story and they've been shut down yeah. lost their jobs yeah and being financially no doubt you know Oh yeah, and you, and you do see that. Like that—that's a fact. I mean, even when I went to release this book, because like you know, there's over fourteen hundred references in it. So it's it's it's. Uh, and every time you say something, you're you've got already have people waiting to get the book so they can just pull you apart online because that's that's just the way it is. I had to hire two barristers, two barristers that were um, experts in copyright to go through the book. The entire thing cost an absolute fortune. Uh, to getting insurance, I live in a little bit of worry that you know at some day they come and squash you because. As I recount in the book, there's plenty of instances where they step in to squash you, not because they think they can win. They probably won't win in court, but you'll be so wrecked by the time you get there that your message will just be drowned out under all the stuff that, that you were fighting. So that kind of stuff is, is, is kind of real and dark. hasn't happened yet. In fact, there hasn't been a single dissenting voice to a single point I've made in the entire book, which is testament to the fact that if I was an absolute lunatic surely some people would be coming up with some science of their own to say well carbohydrates aren't the cause of pancreatitis well they are i'm afraid people the vets unfortunately you go in and your dog has pancreatitis and the vet will say did you give him a bit of fat off your steak you know that's a real trumped out line and the point whose fault is it it's your fault it's like it's my fault because i gave a bit of fat to my dog i gave a bit of sausage to my dog why couldn't my dog eat a bit of fat or a sausage so this is the thing if your dog's going to live on high carbohydrates we have the, all the studies we need to show that eating high carbohydrate diets increases your blood fat. People just thought, well, if there's fat in the blood, it must be because you're eating fat. No, it's from eating carbohydrates that dries up blood fat. It's a type of process that happens. It's a strange thing. It's like during the obesity epidemic, they thought, well, eating fat must make you fat. I know we'll make low fat food and high sugar. Boom, obesity epidemic. So carbohydrates have a role to play in everything cancer dogs are 10 times more likely to get cancer than humans mm. 10 times more likely i don't use those words lightly 10 times more likely scary is and everything everything's okay give me a break yeah. so uh, we've got twice twi twice the amount of vets per dog in the last 10 years 20 years we've got huge drug sales we've got drug companies pet drug companies floating on the stock exchange it's a great market because people haven't a clue they'll spend anything on them uh, and it's just people are just getting done over. Yeah. It's not it's not right. Yeah. Look, I I I hear your passion, Connor, and I felt it at the very start of this podcast when you talked about how you love working with the puppies and you worked at a you know, a guide dog place and you worked in the in the rescue shelters and you know yeah. you feel feel like a 
a brother in terms of loving the dogs. And it's, it's not about the money. It's about you love these animals. They can't speak English. They can communicate with us, but it's, it's very tricky for them to actually say, yeah. you know, we hardly know sometimes whether what's causing our problems medically. So sometimes it's very hard for a human to know what food's causing it. But even if a dog does know, it's very hard for them to actually say this is this isn't causing yeah. problems. So I hear I hear your passion, and um, it is a it is an absolute minefield out there. So it's, it's quite sketchy. You know, I'd like to say that at that point, you just reminded me of something, just to, to highlight mm. to people. Not everyone's going to come along with this, and that's fair enough. You know, you just we're just talking. But like, I think it's important to say that it's not the individual vet on the ground that your ire would be directed at it's 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 not them at all these as i say at the start of the section on what vets are learning in college nutritionally wise yeah. which is not not a whole lot you know that's the that's the short of it but like they the what they do learn is taught by invariably by dry food companies but the thing is vets these are kids our brightest kids going into university this there it's harder in ireland to be a vet than it is to be a doctor a human doctor so these are bright kids going in there or at least kids that are excellent at regurgitating facts in, in exams and in they go to college and they work their asses off in college very difficult to degree i mean gps have to worry about or general practitioners human doctors have to worry about one animal vets have to learn everything about every science every ology you can think of genetics and biology physiology anesthesiology surgery like all these in, in not just one animal but every animal wow good point. rats yeah. cats dogs rodents birds fish you know cows and birds, all this sort of stuff. And then after five years, they've got to learn to run a business and staff. Like it is a savage workload. They are highly stressed. They've got one of the highest suicide rates. And when they get into practice, they work their asses off. So really, these people aren't driving around in Porsches. And if they bloody did, they deserve it. We, I mean, if we're going to look at some jobs, they don't deserve the money they got. So I would say that these kids get in with, a, with an unbelievable work ethic. They're passionate. They love the animals but they believe what they heard because they don't have time to believe otherwise. It's like, just give me the facts and I take in the facts and then I speak the facts. And that's what happens. And then after that comes in a huge amount of, sadly, ego and and, and cognitive dissonance because it's like, I can't possibly be this wrong. I can't possibly believe. Yeah. Like, when you think about it, like the, the suggestion that a candy company's product is the very best product. I mean, these these are candy companies. These are companies with the world's worst nutritional uh, backgrounds, you know? Here's the thing, Connor. If you actually take the uh, the comparison of what we've been doing with our children, feeding them fizzy pop, yeah. feeding them all good bars, yeah. feeding them all really bad food, and then look at their behaviour in schools, totally. how they can't concentrate, they're not physically well, they're yeah. not healthy with all these issues. Yeah. It's exactly the same. Totally the difference is with children, they can always say, "Mom or Dad, I feel sick." Yeah, Mom, I'm. I'm not happy. I don't, you know, the dogs can't speak though, can they? That's the, yeah, that's a, that is a bit of a problem. Um, and yeah. you know, and it, it, it's, it, I, I'm just making sure that people don't go when they do realize what's going on here. And really this, they're not to blame or, or to point the fingers at vets, but Absolutely. if they do figure it, you know, it's about bringing them along. It's interesting though, this whole raw revolution and it is happening. And 20% of the UK market is feeding is real food, to their dogs, you know, so, but it's happening from the ground up as, as Jim Morrison said, you know, they've got the guns, but we've got the numbers not a single vet there's a, i'm in part of the raw feeding veterinary society i'm the only non-vet in the, in the group there's only 120 vets in that group it's a global organization so wow. they, we are a tiny number of scientists and the vast number of scientists are against us and yet the movement is happening so i should encourage people that 
you know, you don't need top echelons to do anything. You just need to speak with your feet. It's like, you know, I don't, I'm not picking up what you're putting down, buddy. And I'm just going to buy this food and make a leap myself. Do a little trial yourself. Try a bit of food yourself. A tin of sardines, you know, crack an egg on top of the food. Uh, give him your leftovers. Don't give him a nice, give him a nice meaty bone. Um, you know, throw a handful of blueberries out into the dirt. That is a fantastic thing to be doing. If you've got a nosy little dog, um, any of your scenty, scenty dogs, I have a cocker spaniel here who's just insane. Dan, I, I desperately need you. I don't say that lightly on air, but uh, <laughs> you know, I do. My wife keeps saying, can we, get, can, we, can we get a trainer in? It's like, I'm a bloody trainer. We're not getting a trainer in. But uh, this dog's nuts. But anyway, I get a handful of blueberries and I throw them out into the back into the hedges and he's out snuffling around for his blueberries, you know, full of anti- antioxidants. Beautiful little treat. So... Just on that, vegetables and you know, fruit yeah. and veg and nuts for the dog. What's the with that stuff? Do you, are you saying don't give the dogs any vegetables, or a little bit's okay, or they should? Or I'm I'm in the I'm in the vegetable group. I'm in the plant matter group. I think a little bit of plant matter is okay. I think you know, if if you should ask me about some exact figure, which I hate giving percentages because people freak out, but yeah. I'm coming off the back of dry food everyone wants percentages you know as if that's how we feed ourselves you know like if i was to ask you how much calcium you gave the kids last week you wouldn't have a clue you know what's your rda of manganese you don't know that's not how we eat and that's not how you're going to feed your dog but initially so i would say maybe 10 percent plant matter in the dog's yeah. diet uh, is about right and then there's certain types like i mean you'd give most plant matter obviously you don't give your onions and you don't give that sort of stuff but dark greens are fantastic you're a bit of carrot i would probably chop up the veg instead of giving it to them whole if they like a crunchy carrot give them a crunchy carrot yeah. if your pup is teething well then frozen carrot battens in the freezer oh fantastic for a pup sore little gums teething all those teeth at the same time so that bit of material is okay a little bit of that a little bit of fruit dogs don't really want too much sugar they don't want the fruit if you keep giving them lots of fruit you're going to start getting yeast issues and all sorts of stuff so ease off the fruit i think things like dark berries are probably the best things like uh, uh, blueberries i adore you know blackberries any of those little dark berries are fantastic but they like all those things you'll see dogs eating bananas and melon and stuff and that's all okay in very small amounts but and as for seeds and stuff, yeah, like I would give some crushed seeds. Pumpkin seeds are probably the best thing you can give them because seeds, they eat a small, tiny amount of seeds because dogs would eat birds. They eat the stomach contents of birds. They wouldn't eat the stomach contents of bigger prey. We've all the videos we need to see now that dogs and wolves and dingoes, they don't eat the stomach contents of the prey. They don't, as people say, this is why we feed 60% cereal because dogs love the stomach contents. No, they don't. They don't eat the you know half digested grass who's going to eat that so um but they do eat the stomach contents of birds so that's where the seeds and nuts and berries bit comes from in in raw feeding so we give a little ground of pumpkin seeds but the reason i love pumpkin seeds over any other seed is because it contains an acid called cyanic acid and cyanic acid is one of the most potent anti-helminthics anti-wormers out there so if you're feeding very small amounts of ground pumpkin seed, your dog's not going to get gut worms so there's absolutely wow. no no need to give worming tablets I mean, the the most you need to do with worming tablets is that once or twice a year, you send off the poo sample to somebody that does. Uh, we've got worm count here in the UK. It's probably New Zealand. It's in Australia. It's it's just a veterinary nurse that you post for a poo sample and this poor devil has to go through 100 poo samples in a day. And then you get a text to your phone 24 hours later. Your dog doesn't have these 14 species wow. of worm and it's digesting its food properly. So like, and that's usually like 20 bucks. Wow. You know? so, so why would you give the chemical, you know? Connor, what a great place to end. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I love talking this stuff, Dan. I could go on. Hey, um, I'm just I'm just yeah, yeah. I could chat to you all day. Absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Can you just run through again, just very briefly, the the website, the name of your book, where they can uh, find it? 
uh yeah so my my website is dogsfirst.ie you can uh you can catch me there and you can contact me at uh, at info at dogsfirst.ie so I, I respond to a good few of my emails uh i've got a facebook page that's pretty busy there's a good few people on that dogs first ireland if you type that in and uh, if you just type in dogs first on facebook it should come up and the name of my book uh, you'll find it on amazon is feeding dogs uh by dr connor brady and it's the one with loads of five-star reviews <laughs> yeah that's the one that's the one yeah thank god thank god yeah so look i'll put all of those links including i'll find i'll get that ted talk video off you i'll put the link to the amazon where you can buy the book feeding dogs um trans will transcribe all of this uh podcast so you can read through it all that sort of stuff and uh, cool. lots of other bits and bobs so if you want to find all that information you go you can go to my website the online dog trainer.com forward slash feeding dogs and um yeah, Dr. Connor Brady, it has been fantastic. I loved it, Dan. I loved it. Let's do it again at some stage. I just love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Keep up the great work because uh, we need good men and good women like you helping to educate us into the dark underbelly of dog food, which indeed I could tell you a lot of stories uh, myself about stuff I've experienced. It's dark. I mean, it's, yeah. It's dark. I mean, the margins alone are just, I never forget <laughs> yeah. the price of some of the dog food in the in the vets and then i had a mate who used to offload it from containers at the port and he, sh- he told me he once had a look at one of the the prices of what it actually cost to import and it blew his mind because it was nuts oh my god it was basically you don't want to say it was rubbish but it was it was the price of rubbish if you're buying it. Uh, it is it is it is very close to rubbish but it's the it's the dregs of the food sector as i go through every single ingredient is the very lowest cheapest thing they can put in there it's not you know uh just and just to reiterate down to people you know they don't have to leap into feeding raw dog food it's a bit freaky for people sometimes but adding in little bits on top of their grain-free dry food at a minimum grain-free dry food add in a few bits and pieces on top and don't forget a meaty bone now and again to clean the teeth outside of the dry food meal give it to them at lunchtime a nice meaty bone really good for the teeth very safe you can learn how to feed dog bones on my website that's really important for them good nutrition cleans the teeth yeah absolutely and and i think it's important as well just to finish off this when we talk about you know dry dog, dog food or kibble it's not that all of it is the same no it's not no no you can find some good stuff and you can avoid the bad stuff that's all it's about and there's also a lot of very very good loving caring fantastic vets out there yeah absolutely that's important and um yeah it's important like yeah to, to remember that so yes absolutely tread carefully tread softly hey thank you dr connor brady it has been uh, yes Dan. loved it it's been brilliant so and thank you guys for listening in to another uh, edition of the doggy dan podcast show thanks for tuning in and uh, have a great day and as always love your dog you've been listening to another episode of the doggy dan podcast show bringing you one step closer to creating harmony with your dog